0: Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to the Secrets of Interstellar, where we will discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings of this movie. Although it's not, there's not many hidden layers and deep meanings in this movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> Joining me today on the panel are Jack Barzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. And Mike Creevy. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Uh, Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Be sure to retweet us where you find us on Twitter. We're at SQPN and leave comments. Let us know what you think. Give us your theories, that sort of thing. Uh, I want to tell you about another show on the network before we get started. Another show on the network that you're sure to enjoy called The Catholics of Oz at sqpn.com slash oz. Or wherever fine podcasts are found, it's our friends from Australia, Lindsay, Caroline, and Lino. They talk about all kinds of things, including science, faith, um, and movies and TV shows. So if you like this show, you'll like that one. And also stick around to the end; we get a little bit of listener feedback we want to share, and uh, we'll we'll get to that at the end. But first, we're talking about Christopher Nolan's 2014 film Interstellar. 2014—that's uh—it's it doesn't seem that old, but uh, it's <laughs> Now, have you both seen the movie before we decided to do this, this show? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. A couple of times. Yeah.
0: Okay. Good, good, good. Yeah. This was my. I think it was my second run through watching it in preparation for this and uh it's it's, it's a big movie it's it's 169 mm-hmm. minutes uh so <laughs> and uh it stars matthew mcconaughey and anne hathaway and Jessica chastain and michael cain i mean it's got a ton of people uh john lithgow can't forget john lithgow um, oh yeah yeah one of my favorite actors and uh so it's a fantastic movie. So it takes place in the year 2067. Earth is dying. Uh, the, all the crops in the world are are going extinct. And the last remaining crop is corn. And you have the main character, whose name is Cooper. He's a widowed engineer, former NASA pilot, who's now a farmer, uh, like everybody. And he ends up getting recruited into this project to save humanity by going into out to space through a, a wormhole that's formed out near Saturn, Saturn, I think. Or yeah, mm-hmm. Saturn. Um mm-hmm. and to another galaxy where there are 12 potentially potential habitable worlds and they have to figure out which one to go to and to for humanity to to live on um and to you know repopulate that sort of thing. And so we follow his journey uh, literally uh through that. And so if you haven't seen the movie yet, this is going to be a huge spoiler fest. So you may want to pause, go watch a movie and come back because it's, it's not going to be as much fun if you get spoiled by us before you've uh, you've watched it. So uh, first impressions, guys, just like overall, your your favorability toward it, what you think of the movie just in, in more general terms,
2: Jack? So when I saw this movie, it was funny because I went to the theater and it was not that long after it was released. And I got there and I was the only person in the theater. <laughs> and so I went in and I said, like I sat down and then like no one else came in and the guy, the projector uh, guy comes into me. And is like, hey, it's like 15 minutes early. You want to go ahead and start since no one else is here? I'm like, sure, <laughs> it's fine. So I got like a private screening of this movie on my own time, which is fun. Um, this is one of those movies where I feel like if you have the opportunity to see it on a big, huge, like IMAX screen, it's really, that's the best way to experience mm-hmm. this movie because. Visually, this movie is fantastic. It is a beautiful movie. I'm not so keen on the story, but we can we can get into that more later. But mm-hmm. overall, it's like I love big space movies. I love space movies that are slow and space movies that actually portray space the way it really is. And it's not in like a Star Trek or Star Wars like over the top science fiction way. So it's nice mm-hmm. to see that. Like even with all my qualms with the, the story of this movie, visually, it's, it's worth it just for that. Right,
0: yeah, I, I know some people have compared visually and the, the way it was filmed, the special effects, with two thousand one. Like it right. just—I uh-huh. mean, there's a lot of ways you can compare this movie to two thousand one. It's yeah. it's clearly an homage uh, to that to that movie. Uh, how about you, Mike? W- what's your
1: first overall? Yeah, I, a lot of the same um, same sort of. Um, Reactions that uh, the that Jack mentioned. I don't remember if I saw in a theater or not. I, I I can't remember off the top of my head. I I probably did, but um, but yeah, I I, I was really struck with the pacing of it too. And a lot of people criticize how like it's so it's so long, um, but it, it it reminds me a little bit, and it's it's different, you know, but it reminds me in some ways of some of the uh the style of like Terrence Malick. Mm-hmm. You know, where there's these sequences that are just, they're just like very artistic and drawn out. And then, you know, mm-hmm. not everybody's into that, but, you know, there's so much spectacle in most of the stuff we watch and everything's usually so quick and so... um you know, it's like over before you even see it. Practically, there's something I think that that just the visuals of this movie, really all throughout it, kind of invite this this journey right deeper into kind of the sense of uh, wonder and awe at the uh, the magnitude of the cosmos and everything. And, and uh, I just think that's really kind of a cool aspect of it. Um, and plus, I, I'm a huge Hans Zimmer fan. Always have oh, yeah. been. And I, I love I love the score for this. I'm sure we we might get into that a little bit later too, because uh, there's some cool. Details that, that some of our listeners may not know. Um, I, I'm I'm not privy to secret information. I just read the uh, some of the um, the sort of like a, a book in like the CD, you know, basically, that's kind of Chris Nolan and, and Hans Zimmer kind of discussing how they went about um a lot of the musicality for this which is really intriguing you know for a sci-fi mm-hmm. movie so uh but yeah i uh we'll we'll see about the plot here there's there's right. things i like things that are like eh, i don't know how i feel about that uh certainly from the faith perspective i mm-hmm. think we might have some interesting things to kind of say too so oh, yeah. yeah that's yeah. my my hot take <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, eight, I would eight years yeah. later yes, <laughs> <whatever. laughs> not as
0: hot as it used to be but uh, uh i would say like that Nolan is one of those filmmakers who who believes that what you see tells the the story as much as what the characters are saying and doing. So uh-huh. the, the the scene, the landscape, the place that you that the that is within the frame that he's depicting is a big part of the story, and that's where you get these film. A lot of filmmakers, or some of the filmmakers, who they get a reputation for having long, slow <laughs> shots of nothing happening, but there's something there that is, it's more about the place and what he's trying to show mm-hmm. you. So, um, I agree. Yeah, Christopher Nolan has got that reputation. He's, you know, The Dark Knight, Inception, um, Tenet, which I haven't seen yet. And uh, it's on our list of, of things yeah. to discuss in the future. But uh, Memento? Oh,
1: yes. <laughs> That's right. what's yeah. going back there, too.
0: He's got that reputation yeah. for making these big high concept movies. Yeah. So, let's talk about this one. Uh, it's essentially like two movies. You know, in, in one sense, you can really divide it in half. There's the farm and space. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's how I look at it. Like, this is the, 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 and it's a long movie. So the, you've got like this, the first, I don't know if it's all, if it's a half, but maybe the first third
2: to a half is, it's, it's an hour into the movie. Like, is it? I rewatched it recently and mm. like, you don't get into space until like an hour and like 15 minutes.
0: Okay. So, so. yeah. So it's a huge chunk of it is, is that setting up going into space, and then once he's there that you know there's that whole part of it, and uh, the structure of the movie is such that it is some it is very circular that you ta- mm-hmm. that time is circular, so you have in the story itself time is circular, but the way that the story is told is somewhat circular like you start off with these interludes with these old folks. Telling the stories, and it's this very documentary style, like "Oh, I remember you know those days," yeah. and and we we will find out at the end that these are part of a, a museum exhibit, essentially of right. of Cooper's house,
1: you know, because <laughs> it's been commemorated. Uh, it, it's, it was a like Great Depression or like Dust Bowl type videos or something.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was pretty wild. And then um, we have yeah. so, and then but the story itself begins with the daughter. Murphy talking about the house being haunted um, mm. and we'll find out that this is Cooper who has gone off, flown through a wormhole or and and then a black hole and is being brought around again to create a time paradox paradox of sending himself off on this mission mm-hmm. um, which is interesting from from a Catholic point of view it's sort of. You know, can you have this sort of bootstrap paradox? Um, It's an interesting question.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, One interesting thing, um, talking about those documentary clips at the beginning and Mm -hmm. how it feels like a Dust Bowl documentary, that's because it is a Dust Bowl documentary. Those clips were taken from the Ken Burns documentary about the Dust Bowl. Really? Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's cool. I thought at least
0: one of them referred to something... In the future, but maybe, maybe I, maybe I was reading into it. Um, that's kind of fascinating. Um, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, because it really had that authentic feel. I mean, it felt like I'm watching 60 Minutes or I'm watching a Ken Burns documentary or yeah, something. Like that.
2: That's because yeah, <laughs> Ken Burns. Show, yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. Wild. So, and we have this future of environmental disaster. It's the year 2067, and it's kind of interesting that basically the world is running out of food. Population has been decimated. Um, most people are farming because it's hard to grow food enough food for the population that's left, and so it takes nearly everyone to be doing it. And there are no. At one point, they say there are no more armies. You know, uh, which uh-huh. is kind of fascinating. Basically, all society has broken down. There are no. You know, there's some sort of must be some sort of government, but not like mm-hmm. big. You know, big government out there. It's kind of fascinating. I kind of want to know more about this history that they've built.
2: Yeah. But I also like that the movie doesn't try to over explain everything that happened. Like they could have mm-hmm. gone one of two ways where like you talk about nothing or you like over explain everything. And I like that. It's just kind of, here's where we are. Here's what's going on. And you can kind of infer from that. And I, I do think there are a few things they could have done differently. Like, I don't feel like you really felt like with the main characters, at least that there was that much want in their life. Like mm-hmm. there, there didn't really feel like you had a lot of like negative impacts from everything that was going on. But I feel like they could have done more of that. But I, I still get what they were going for.
0: Yeah, yeah. They like you know they they were driving older vehicles and like they didn't have new things. And he was, you know, constantly repurposing and rebuilding. And they, you know, he, he had made robotic harvesters and they mm. stole that Indian army drone that crash landed nearby. That was kind of a weird, like, uh, they're stealing a drone? Like, I didn't understand what was going on with that. And then I, I kind of figured on the second watch that it was, it's a long-term drone that had just been flying autonomously for years, apparently. and yeah. was just coming <laughs> down uh, after all this time. And they they went and grabbed it. So like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah.
1: And he was trying to get the, uh, the the I think the power cells and stuff out of it because they the can computer brain. For they brain. can, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. They can power his farming equipment. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's, it's very practical. Yeah,
0: right. Um, the his daughter's name is Murph, or Murphy. She's named after Murphy's Law, which is kind of funny that that they named. And you know, and she's like, "Well, why did you name me after something negative?" And he's like, "No, it's not negative. Like because that's." Whatever can happen will happen. In other words, you are the possibilities
1: of. of He sees it as like a sign of hope. Yeah. Right. You like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: I thought that was really cool because in the the long run, Murphy is that sign of hope. She is that that random chance, that random chaotic element that does bring about salvation for Mm. the population of the planet. And I thought that was kind of cool that they saw that in her. Um, so that was kind of cool. Yeah, There there was that scene at the school. That was another thing I thought maybe was a little extra, like, I'm not sure this, this needed to be here, but, uh, we have that scene where we found out that the official textbooks teach that the moon landings were propaganda to bankrupt the Soviets. When in fact that it's the new textbooks that are propaganda to convince people yeah. that machines and technology are the problem. I, I thought that was a uh,
1: fascinating. I- I always enjoy a good old a good old school, uh, you know, and any, any time there's a, a parent-teacher scene, I, I always get a kick out of you know, being a teacher myself.
0: Yeah. Because <laughs> <Yeah>, <laughs>
1: nice. usually I'll see a scene like that and be like, well, I mean, at least it wasn't that bad. Um, you know, right. whatever I just went through today, you know, that was pretty <laughs> awkward. So <laughs> it's more dramatic most That's of the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I do
2: appreciate that uh, he, um, the teacher talks about Murph getting into a fist fight with other students over the uh moon landing being faked and yeah which is funny because like i'm generally pretty cool about conspiracy theories but the one thing that really upsets me is like when people go off on the whole like the moon landing was faked thing because it just seems like they're denigrating the people who put all that work into that oh so yeah like that's that's the one that like really gets me upset and so i i identify with that i understand where she's coming from <laughs> <laughs> and i heard I, I've, I've never seen it
1: myself but i, I i'm i've I've been told by people who know better than me that you know you can see the you know like you, if you look through a powerful enough telescope you oh, can yeah. see this the landing site yeah. like on the moon it's not like you know <laughs> yeah, it's there anyway. you know but uh um yeah i, I love though and i don't know if it's time to get into this but I, maybe i might just hint at it but mm-hmm. this idea of this uh, the passion of of not wanting to just be kind of consigned to this reductionist kind yes. of thing let's go yeah, my, yeah. my one of my big enemies is reductionism just just as you know per se and like talking to my my uh students in theology class too like it's just that that constant temptation you know uh that i honestly i, I feel like it goes back to the garden of eden you know it's like well did god really say this or is it really like this or is it just this you know and yeah. it's like that closing off that wonder and i love what cooper says on the porch to his father-in-law you know that, that i wrote it down but mm-hmm. that that when he's like, you know, we've forgotten who we are, you know, he's like, we're not, right. we're not caretakers, you know, we're explorers, we're pioneers. And it, it's on one hand, I, I can appreciate, I, I brought it up because I couldn't remember it, but no, you guys know that um, John Adams had that quote where he's talking about it's sort of the other side of this. He says, uh, I must study politics and war that my sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. And he's yes, going down the list you know. the idea that then his grandchildren might be able to someday study painting and poetry and music. And and I there's something to that, you know, because it's we're we have to deal with the sort of times we're given. But I think it's so easy for us to, to get so stuck in the pragmatic like moment that we can lose that 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 sight of the fact that we're we're meant for so much more right um, and we can't ultimately control and i don't know if jack we might get to that i'm wondering if this is what what some of your critique is of the plot there is a very sort of potentially scientistic kind of humans mm-hmm. saving themselves kind of feel to this which mm-hmm. which is yeah you know we can't quite get on board with that so that's that's right. kind of where i'm at with it but yeah i like those themes though Of of there's more to us though than just just survival.
0: You you see that like, um, what value is poetry and music when people are dying in wars? You know, I've I've actually run into that recently with regard to current events, and it's like, but mm-hmm. no, but po- poetry and music and art are especially important at these times. You know, we can't yeah. lose those higher things that make us not merely animals but
1: human beings. Yeah. Well, in the rhapsodic theater, like John Paul II, right? I mean, he was he was criticized, you know, understandably by his friends, you know, nineteen, twenty years old, and you know, like my my mom was just killed by Nazis, my sister was taken to a concentration camp, and you want to put on plays? Like I I can I get it. You know, like I can right. I can understand that that anger, but but his insight that if we what these these people don't want to just kill us, they want to destroy our identity, our culture. They want to just they want to erase that we ever existed. And we need to preserve the Polish language and preserve our literature and poetry. And he saw that. Um and yeah, I I think that's the same kind of insight. You know, we don't always appreciate that. On
2: the flip side, I also I have seen people (laughs) criticize Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and uh Richard Branson and those for like wasting money on space exploration when they could be using it to help people here on earth. And while I understand like there's plenty of issues we can have with like these billionaires who have millions of dollars and how they've gotten it, like that's a legitimate criticism. But at the same time, like the fact that they are forwarding science and forwarding like this exploration into the universe, that is a positive good for humanity. And so I do, I think we're kind of, we do get, it's that weird dichotomy of like, science is important and art and literature is also important. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a holistic thing that we need to appreciate all these different aspects of our intellect that God has given us. Sure.
0: You look back to the it's 1970s, you had know, the Malthusian claims that, you know, by the year 2000, uh, the world would be starving, which is connected to this movie. You know, that the world would be starving because we're not growing enough food and there'll be too many people. But it was science, <laughs> you know, and people criticizing science, scientists for, you know, Doing silly things, but it was science that actually saved us from that. You know that it was right. science. Yeah, it, Cooper says we used to look up and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we look down and worry about our place in the dirt. And uh, there's there's a profoundness in that. In 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 that, it's not merely enough to just survive. I mean, I think that's what you said, Mike. It's 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 not enough just to just to move live from day to day if there is no Meaning in it if, we, if there's no greater mm-hmm. striving if we're not trying to and for, as Christians, our striving is to is to serve God, to love God, to love one another to 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 worship that's what gives meaning to our lives is, is to love and to worship, and if we 're just merely existing, well then the hell with it, in a sense, you know <laughs> well, that, yeah, you, that. we might as well just cool. shut it
1: all down. Well, we see that in this movie too. Of like, what what is on the table for them to pull off this survival mission? You know, like to to what extent will they go? Yes, you know. So, is there any ethical? You know, what's what? Where's right. the line? You know, yeah, right.
0: <laughs> uh, there is. Before we move to talking about uh, Lazarus and uh, in in that part of it, I do want to mention the the scene where the robotic combines all come to the house on their own. I never Mm -hmm. figured out what that was about. Was that they were was that having to do with his future self
2: calling him? So so what happened was and then this is one of my critiques about the plot because it's very convenient. Um basically what happened was he when he's in the weird fifth dimension at the end of the movie, he causes a magnetic anomaly that causes mm. all these devices to head oh. towards him. And that is why all the combines were there. That's why the drone went there. Oh, okay. it's not really, ex- it's not really explained in the plot and it, it, it's very expedient for what needs to happen in the story. But that is the explanation for that is like his, mag- his incursion into that timeline caused like a magnetic anomaly that pulled all the devices towards him. Oh, okay.
0: okay. Oh, that's a good explanation. All right. Because they did talk about gravity and gravity waves and that sort of stuff, so yeah, that makes sense then.
1: So does does Matthew McConaughey have that magnetic of a personality? Is that what we're going? <laughs> oh well, to I mean, I way. see him on screen. I'm <laughs> uh, I'm
0: uh, glued to it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he gets these coordinates from himself to to the lazarus facility which is apparently it looks like it's in colorado springs yonder the mountain
2: mm-hmm. where it's uh right right, yeah. Next,
0: one level up from the stargate and, right. uh, <laughs> and uh, they get the coordinates to this program this mission called lazarus and it's an interesting that they've chosen this name because lazarus as we know from the bible is the the man raised from the dead and so they, what they're they're I was I was thinking about him, like you know that Lazarus had to die before he came back, right? Right. <laughs> right. It, that's so, what he
2: that's what he says in the movie, yeah. Yeah. It's
0: it's uh it, it it's an interesting name that they've chosen, but like what they're trying to do is is basically resurrect humanity from this destruction that it's brought on them on ourselves uh, as far as the movie goes, and um they've come up with these plans, and so we've got they've discovered this wormhole to another galaxy. With 12 potential habitable worlds, uh, and they've sent uh twelve people ahead to to go to these places and to map them out and to signal back if they land someplace. It's essentially a suicide mission because um they they get there, there's no really return. But we only know if the place is is not deadly if they signal <laughs> that they made it. So mm-hmm. undoubtedly, I think what is it? Nine of them d- never signal, so we presume that nine oh, right. of them died. Um, yeah, and only get
2: three.
0: we get we have three planets that are have p- potential future home for Earth, and so now they have to go and assess. Um, this there's, there's two plans. Plan A is they're they're working off of some gravity equations. It was, was what we're told in the beginning to create this giant spaceship that could carry thousands of people into space and through the wormhole to a habitable planet. Um, But if that's never, but they they haven't figured that out yet. So plan B is this ship that's going out to assess is also going to carry, and here's the problem, (laughs) 5,000 fertilized eggs, human eggs. uh, And then they would incubate the first 10 And then would have surrogate pregnancies to create exponential growth. This is a
2: problem. (laughs) Yeah, I do like the irony of the, they call it the population bomb, which is obviously referenced to that book, which is about Mm -hmm. if you have too many, if if there's too many people on the planet, you're going to like deplete the resources of the earth and everyone's going to die. Right. But the point of this population bomb is like, it's a bomb as in like, we're going to explode it and expand the population. So I, I do like that like wordplay there yeah,
0: yeah that was good but it's it is um i mean i was kind of horrified of, at this because it it treats i mean obviously from a, from a catholic moral standpoint it treats uh the most intimate aspects of our humanity the things that make us most like god that is that creative that the creativeness that that can create other living beings mm-hmm. um it treats it like a like a tool and yeah. i mean i just think Oh, yes. So we'll incubate 10 and we just have assumed that those first 10, which were presumably going to be women, um, we've already predetermined that they're going to be the breeders and they're going to, you know, right. grow and then going to have, you know, uh, successive surrogate pregnancies. There's no free choice. There's no I mean, there's there's a potential actually story in something like
2: that where. That's what I was saying. Like, I want to I want to see the story. I want to see a sequel that deals with the, that society. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: What happens if one of one or more of those women, when they reach that age, say, no, I'm not a cow. I'm not. Right. I, I'm a human being. I'm a person. I I have choice, free choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. this is there's no choice in this for them. And that's kind of scary and kind of horrific. And, uh, yeah. you know, it, putting the survival of the human species on their shoulders.
2: To the movie's credit, it does paint that option as like. This is the plan B because it is the worst option, and we are literally just trying to ensure the survival of the species, and this is not what we would like to have happen. So it's I, it's obviously not a moral choice, but I feel like the movie does at least address it in a way that's like, this is not what we want to have happen.
0: It nods at it. This is the absolute right. last resort. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh-huh. I get that I mean, it's sort of like the seed bank up in Norway, I think it is where we've buried uh, seeds of every plant on earth that we can get our hands on uh, so that if we wipe out the species or we wipe out a lot of species, some doing something dumb, that these seeds will survive and we can replant them and repopulate them. I mean it's sort of a essentially a human seed bank in the, in that case mm-hmm. yeah. so but uh we're I think at one point Cooper says, you know we shouldn't do the right thing for the wrong reason. And mm-hmm. and right, th- that's that that is a good illustration of doing the right thing for the wrong reason. It's also the materialist viewpoint of this movie. This is a movie, and we, like we can talk about it now. This is a movie without God. This is a movie yeah. where, mm-hmm. um, we we in fact at the end Cooper is the one who's, who comes right and says, "We make our own fate. We make our own destiny." He's the one who opens up the wormhole and communicates, and you know we realize that there are no wormhole aliens. That's it's it's, yeah. it's them creating this bootstrap yeah. p- paradox.
2: And that's really my primary issue with this movie is that I don't remember who said this quote, but it's like words and sound signifying nothing. Right. Like, Dylan Thomas. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, there you go. Dylan Thomas. That, yeah. yeah. That ties into the movie. <laughs> F- funny enough, yeah. I think it is. Yeah, I'll look it up. But it's, yeah, a, it's a visually beautiful movie, but it's so full of like fluff, mm-hmm. pop psychology and philosophy that like I like to watch this movie just because it's pretty, but the the plot really falls apart for me. Like especially in the second half of the movie. Well, and and, and let me
1: on that note, um, it's it's a fun study to really like pay close attention to Anne Hathaway's love speech because mm-hmm. it's the most bizarre, meandering, goofy thing i've like about ever heard because yeah like like just such a a hyper scientistic i guess you know because it's not i'm not anti-science but but i'm saying like trying to to frame the whole drama and reality right of of love in this this kind of mechanical it's just it's just goofy and the last the last time i was watching it i was just thinking to myself i was like every kid i know knows love better than her character does
0: yeah you know what i mean like it's, not, it's i wrote a, that whole quote like, down because i was so astounded by it uh but before yeah, i it's... before we go forward i need to save myself because my my english professor wife would kill me if i actually attributed shakespeare to dylan thomas oh. macbeth a tale told an yes. yes. idiot is full of sound and fury, signifying you nothing go. yes exactly there you <laughs> go. um but so saved um, yes <laughs> so brand's uh quote is um so at one point they have they have this choice to make of they they've mm-hmm. only got enough fuel to go to one planet and so they have to make this choice do they go to man's planet mm-hmm. who is mm-hmm. the leader of the expedition I can't um, wait to talk about him yes and <laughs> Edmund's planet man survives by growing mm-hmm. potatoes you yeah. uh, know no sorry that's a different movie oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Edmund's planet and she admits partly she wants to go to Edmund's planet partly because she was in love with him they had a relationship and so she says. Maybe it means something more, something we can't yet understand. Maybe it's some evidence, some artifact of a higher dimension than we, that we can't consciously perceive. I'm drawn across the universe to someone I haven't seen in a decade who I know is probably dead. Love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Maybe we should trust that, even if we can't understand it. All right, Cooper, yes, the tiniest possibility of seeing Wolf again excites me. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. He also but that's when Cooper says that doesn't mean you're right. either. <laughs> but, right. <laughs> but this is the, the I think the fundamental crux of what Nolan is saying in this movie is that love transcends time and dimension. And that's what mm-hmm. uh, ultimately saves humanity is Cooper's love for sure. his daughter. Yeah. But yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's it sort of it's a materialist. It's a materialist sense of of a transcendent love <laughs> because right, right, right. there's no ultimate god there's no spiritual aspect to it
2: right it, it this movie has the same problem that uh castaway has where they ask these mm. big questions but they don't arrive at the correct answer and i not saying correct in terms of like not every story needs to have like everything spelled out for you but yeah and this is honestly this is my problem with a lot of christopher nolan movies is that he tries to be very philosophical but it comes across as very superficial like when he does that like mm. Yeah, so much of the dialogue in this movie sounds very like, like highbrow. But then when you actually dig into it, he's not really saying a lot, <laughs> right? It's right,
0: very broad but not very deep. Yeah, right, exactly. Mm.
1: It's like a uh, just, just like the water on that water plant, <laughs> right? Yeah, <exactly>. it was, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah it's like um,
0: <laughs> a bunch of college students smoking pot on the weekend and getting philosophical, thinking they're <laughs> I mean, like, be like honest, really yeah. intense, um, which makes it appropriate that Matthew McConaughey is. <laughs> The lead because it sounds yes. like that <laughs> so Indeed. um there is one moment where he says that I, it's a really interesting parental moment and this is as a parent as i the three of us are fathers that whole scene of him leaving murph was mm. heart-wrenching mm. like yep uh, like i'm yelling <laughs> yeah. at the screen, turn back turn back what? don't leave under these conditions uh, you know yep. and uh but he says uh at one point he says parents are here to be their children's memories we are the ghosts of our children's futures. I'm like, wow, that is, I mean, that for no, that There's is actually kind there. of profound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. have to yeah. give him can, credit yeah. for that, yeah, or uh, whoever wrote yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like we are, we, our children will remember us, and we are their past eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, just like my parents and my grandparents are the they they had lives. They were they had the they were the stars of their own yeah. story. But now they are my past and my memories, and it's kind of fascinating yeah. to think of that. This is how humanity exists.
1: Well, don't don't tell don't tell Thomas Sanjurjo that I quoted uh, the Last Jedi but uh it's I, I do i love i love yoda's line in that movie when he says you know referring to that next generation you know saying you know uh we are what they grow beyond right um and i that's i've always liked that line you know that's it's that's very profound yes. yeah you know the, the 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 absolute limit of your reach you know mm-hmm. and then they
2: you know and it's it's just yeah it's really fascinating and there's there's something deep there you know yeah i will say it's funny that uh the first time I saw this movie was before I was married. Um, And then watching it again, after I'm married and have a kid, like that scene where he's watching the video clips after he's come back from that planet. And it's been like 27 years. Oh, or yeah. Really. yeah, Like, man, that just hits you way different when you have kids. You understand <laughs> yeah. like that agony he's going through. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, oh you my can gosh. feel
0: that. I mean, the acting yeah. in that scene was really good. Uh, and the, it was it, the other thing that got me about it, though, was is how it was all about Murph. His son, mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, and uh, see, you have a good time here. The keys to the truck, like, what? His son's going to be suffering too. He's losing his father. It's just, yeah, it's it so different. Like, yeah, he'll be cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but and then see, this is when they launch, and it's two years to get to Saturn, and and so on and so forth, and but as they launch, we get this quote, this Dylan Thomas quote that I was uh, talking about earlier, uh which the Michael Caine's character, you know, intones, do not go gentle into that good night, rage, rage against the dying of the light. And what the imp- clear implication is, is, you know, we are going to fight our own extinction. We are not going to give up that easily. We are going to expend our last breath at trying to survive. And, and that's, mm-hmm. that's becomes the theme. We have uh some interesting conversations between Brand and Cooper as they get as they're going out and out there. Uh, one of them is, uh, they have this conversation about there is no evil out among the stars, just nature. Uh, again, it's a very, uh, materialist, imminentist, um, I think, uh, viewpoint on things. Um, although the f- man does bring evil with him. Let's just put it that way for now and put a pin in there mm-hmm. because man literally does bring, you know, <laughs> bring evil to the scene. Um, so they 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 go through the the wormhole. They they come. I love. So let's talk a little about the science. They tried to do right by the science. Like scientists have said that the depiction of a wormhole as not a hole in space, but as a sphere that you yeah, could. That was cool. <laughs> that, that's actually probably somewhat accurate.
2: Yeah. And so they had a they had Kip Thorne, who is a astrophysicist. Um, he was on the advisory team for this movie, hmm. and he helped develop that all the CGI that went into building the wormhole, and also into building the visual of the gargantua. Gargantua, gargantua. yes, yeah. so and trippy. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's cool because the the 3D models and like the the scientific modeling behind the effects they used are actually used by physicists now to model black holes because he was very concerned with making sure that it was actually scientifically accurate so it's cool to see that yeah they they focused on the actual science there there's a there's a lot of stuff that's hand wavy in this the way they do the science in this movie but the way they portray wormholes and black holes is actually accurate to our current understanding of physics which is pretty cool to see well it's so cool to me about the whole all of that aspect well i guess yeah that
1: it's hard to say that aspect of it. It's kind of the background of the whole thing, but, but it, my wife doesn't really like this movie that much. Um, or, or even sometimes, you know, just, just sort of, um, these, these big epic kind of well, sci-fi movies, but ones that are a little more rooted in, in kind of the, the, the real science behind, you know, this kind of stuff. Um, be, because it's funny for the very same reason that I love stuff like this, because I love the feeling I feel this exhilarating feeling of just how astonishingly tiny I am in the grand scheme of things, right? Yeah, exactly. and the magnitude of it hurts. Kind of like this, like oh, I don't, don't want to. And but what's so cool to me is like this. It's just so amazing how, um, like, the more I and I, I'm not super scientifically inclined myself, just by nature. I'm fascinated in all this stuff, but it takes me a little while longer, you know, to like read through mm-hmm. some of this stuff. And um, but what I love when we start getting into to real theories about you know warping of space time and all that is. It just reminds me how kind of ephemeral, in a sense, everything really like it's it's yeah. it's it's created. It, it's not fundamentally objectively near like as real as God is. You right. know that that everything in creation is is essentially being loaned existence. You know, right? And it, and it's not as 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 given and perfectly predictable and controllable as we want it to be. And the ironic thing to me is, is is that reality is sort of there in this movie, but it's also kind of lost in this movie, too. Yeah. (laughs) You know, ironically enough.
0: Yeah. All existence is contingent and therefore it's Mm -hmm. malleable. It's changeable. It's it's not if It's not unassailable, and that's that's an interesting aspect to to this. I as I was watching this, I was kind of criticizing the the movie for getting black hole science wrong. I mean, obviously, because there are aspects of it that I'm like, we they, how could a planet exist so close to a gargantua black hole? Like, like it would it would be irradiated with Hawking radiation. Like how like it's just. So I, I, I would have to go back through and, you know, look at how they maybe, you know, or find an article where they explain how this works then, because uh, I was kind of like annoyed because I hate when they like they kind of ignore they, it. They
1: show it. I mean, it looks visually it looks like it's just sort of sitting right there. Yeah. You know, like there's a yeah. black hole on oh, it's so by perspective, I don't know. Close <laughs> enough that
0: they can travel to it relatively quickly. It's not even mm-hmm. years that's taking them. It's it's short periods. So, yeah, yeah uh, well, well, yeah, I put a pin in that one. I'll, I'll give him I'll give him credit for that. <laughs> give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, so we do one of the black hole effects is time dilation. So the closer to you, you are to it, the more time is slowed down from your relative perspective. I'm, I am not going to get the science 100 percent accurate as I described the stuff. So just bear with me. But this <laughs> is the, the movie tells us. So one hour on the surface. So they go to Miller's planet and one hour on the surface is equivalent to seven years on Earth. And uh, and they have this encounter where it's a the the water is, you know, a a few inches deep that they landed, but the entire planet is covered in it. And it turns out that they're in the trough between two mega waves, essentially. And um, it's Brand who ignores Cooper's order to get back in the ship, who costs the life of the other astronaut, the unnamed red shirt who dies there i forget his name uh, he has a name <laughs> but i forget it um but
1: uh and the not henry cavill
0: no <laughs> right He <It> looks <laughs> yeah what is
1: his name oh, yeah it's a guy from hunger games and another thing i can't think of his name yeah yeah, yeah. oh that's where he's, i've seen him that's right uh so anyway it, he was also he was also in uh by the way from a catholic perspective just remember he was in um he was opposite charlie cox and there be dragons Oh, he's the, yeah, he's his, nice. his friend, like they grew up together, but he's like the atheist and, and, you know, opposite to Jose Maria Escriva played by Charlie Cox, in that movie. That's, that's, that's a good
2: movie.
0: Oh, okay. I, okay. Now yeah. I have to look up uh, Interstellar yeah, on IMDb because I need
2: to get, these, yeah. when I see him, I just think he's kind of Henry Cavill, but he's not. Well, <laughs> he's like the, the great value Henry Cavill. <laughs> Wes Bentley. <laughs> Wes is, Bentley. That's Wes it. Bentley yeah. Is his name. Yep. So, uh
0: they, they end up, it's this scene where The astronaut Miller had landed there from relative time just hours before, but it had been years and years, but because of the time dilation and they ended up, you know, they were supposed to land quickly and get back into the ship because the guy they left behind was going to be up there alone for years. It's like, wow, it just it blows my mind, this idea that that you would be left alone in the ship for years by yourself. And then it took so long for them to get back up there because of
1: the waves. It was like twenty three years. He was alone on this yeah. spaceship, like, and he didn't expect it to be that long, of course. But even so, he's still kind of like, oh yeah. And the time you guys are down there, all work on gravity, and you know, you'll yeah. see you in a few years. <laughs> like, jeez.
0: And it, apparently, he did keep going into the suspended animation thing, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, not con- constantly. Yeah, yeah that he's, was, and he's a
1: little salt and pepper, you know. He's aged. You can
2: see yeah, a little bit. And he's yeah. not
0: yeah. all like, there yeah. anymore.
2: <laughs> I mean, you stick alone for. 23 years with just some robots like yeah you can understand (laughs) that that would be there i do wonder if this planet was like there's that whole paradox of if you have a ball with hair like growing out of the ball you cannot ever comb it to where there's not like a bald spot on it and so it's like do you have that gravity issue of like you can never have like stability on a sphere with yeah the water
0: Mm, right Mm. That something is causing the waves to constantly go and go and go around the planet yeah yeah there's nothing to stop it because there's apparently no continents or whatever that's an interesting point um we haven't talked about the robots they were interesting design these big (laughs) slab robots yeah uh, tars and case uh with very (laughs) human personalities i thought that was kind of they're kind of interesting Uh, and whenever robots show up on screen especially ones that have been like i don't know there's always like this implicit menace now, neither mm. of them end up uh, being a bad guy in this, but there's always that. Uh, and maybe that's the hell 2001 mm-hmm. remnant of it. But I always <laughs> I'm always waiting for one of these AI robots to to go nuts on one of these space missions.
1: Well, I like I like I liked TARS because, you know, Bill Irwin's always been yeah. you know, fun and stuff. And, um, you know, he's quite a theatrical character himself. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was really good. I just wanted to see what code like they're running on their screens because whenever they're speaking, like you see, like this constant like oh yeah yeah these lines of code are like generating on the screens and then being wiped clean. And I did some screen caps, but I couldn't really see what they what they mm. actually had on there. So I was just wondering, like, what routines are they running where they need to be like listing out these these data dumps?
0: <laughs> right. Well, the, the, <laughs> it's we need to make them make it look like their computers, then so yeah. we have to, random stuff. Yeah. They when they get back, like you mentioned, they get the dump of all of their built up messages, you know, from the years. And uh, now uh, his son is now Casey Affleck and uh, Murph is now Jessica Chastain. And, uh, you know, this he has a line. He says, "Um, when you become a parent, one thing becomes really clear, and that's that you want to make sure your children feel safe. And that rules out telling a 10 year old that the world is ending And it's kind of, it's kind of, I just thought it was an interesting uh, statement at the time. Just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he doesn't want to take away her hope. You know, he he never, he never wanted to tell her, but that is kind of what led to her resentment because why are you leaving me? You know, well, the world's ending and I'm trying to save the world. But if, if, if you tell her that, then she knows the world is ending. So, you know, you've created this resentment in her against Mm -hmm. you for that. So I thought it was kind of interesting, uh, an interesting line there. and then Murph de- never calls and le- uh, leaves a message until she's the same age he was when he left because he promised he would be when he came back, he would probably be about the same age. She would be about the same age he it was when he left. And so this is him breaking his promise. And that's what, I think when he started mm. crying, I think that's when he realized what he yeah. what he what he'd, uh, what he'd missed. Yeah. So uh then we have this whole thing about uh brand now wants to go to Ed they they have to choose between the uh man's planet or Edmunds Planet, and they have that discussion about love. And then we find out that before we get to Man's Planet, we find out that Professor Brand, her her dad, was lying. This is when we find out that there really isn't a plan A, that plan B was always going to be plan A. But um what was the line? Plan A was designed to get people to to save themselves because they wouldn't have been selfless about saving the species. Which assumes Mm. people cannot be selfless. That's like that is a very cynical worldview. Yeah,
2: and that's one of the my biggest issues with the movie is this this idea that people would not sacrifice themselves to save other people. And I think that you would have like not not even approaching it from a Catholic perspective. Like I think you would have people who would who would sacrifice themselves to save the species and to save humanity. Like I I don't like how I don't that that's really, honestly, this is the point where the movie kind of breaks down for me. Like this is a movie where it's like 65% of it is a good movie. And then once you get past that point, like I'm like Hmm. this this whole plot after that, like it kind of loses me. Well, it shows, it shows the, I think the danger of the, um,
1: the, the, intellectual sins that we can fall into of that, that mm-hmm. kind of arrogance, mm-hmm. you know, and that, because, because, uh, because man is so heels dug in kind of like, well, he's I don't say dug in he's, he is, but, but he's, he's very, um, and in that first scene when he's just very kind of pragmatically oh. talking about, you know, the, the bravery of Dr. Brand. And it, it's yeah. just, it's this like, we know better than everybody else kind of thing. Arrogance. And yeah, it's like, really? yeah, yeah. right. And, but what's, what's interesting to me is, is that not like, totally right out of of the devil's playbook as a fundamentally intellectual being you know who doesn't have a body like like say satan the demons their fall had nothing to do with some sort of material temptation Mm -hmm. it's it's fundamentally pride fundamentally arrogant you know intellect um self-worship self-aggrandizement and it's it's like eh, you know you kind of see the the fingerprints of that (laughs) when when Mm -hmm. we fall into those particular sins ourselves
0: and you see that you know those who accuse others often are accusing themselves because brand lied to save the species uh-huh. man lied to save himself i mean that's right he, in fact he doomed the species for, in in one sense or could almost did by lying to, because this was not the planet to come to this was not the uh-huh. right place but he was scared he was a coward and you know wanted it wanted to be saved and That is fundamentally the flaw there. And it shows the flaw in this scientist, scientific, you know, over intellectual materialist worldview, you know, that that they 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 ultimately could not be selfless.
1: Well, you know, can I can I just say, like, I really love like while we're kind of there with with man's Mm -hmm. sort of cowardice there. I what I really love about that, first of all, on a funny note, I, I sometimes, you know, say to people, if you want a lot of fun, watch The Martian. Yeah, and then immediately when you're done watching The Martian, watch these scenes from Interstellar. <laughs> it's, it's, so Matt Damon's stuck like, on a planet alone again. Him, oh yeah, this is going to be a like, different, different character. But but I, I love uh, and first of all, so it's, it's one of my favorite villain. I don't know if villains maybe a strong word, but one of my favorite kind of antagonist deaths of all time. Because yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 giving his little speech and just you know, done. Yeah, um, but, but 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 in all seriousness, what I really love though is for this this moment when uh, you know. It's as you're watching, even as I'm watching it, like, you know, I'm, I'm so mad at this character and I want him to get what's coming to him. But, um, I gotta say, I I love how Cooper and, uh, the other Dr. Brand, right. You know, Anne Hathaway's Dr. Brand, how they, they don't, they're not happy about what he's doing. They're mad, but they're, they're trying to stop him and, and to sort of save him too. Right. You know, and there is this, this like, please don't open it. Please don't do this. You know, the, please listen to us. Like there's, there's this sort of, um, I don't know, this this maybe willingness to, a, you know, willingness for, for, you know, to try to get someone to, to repent, to, you know, to save someone who's really mixed up. I, I thought that was a, a nice touch, at least mm-hmm. didn't, yeah. didn't work out, but <laughs> yeah. they,
2: they attempted it, of course. I do think also that, and this is something I noticed just in TV in general is like, when they're trying to stop him from doing what he's doing, like, they're not trying to kill him because for the normal person, like, killing somebody to solve your problem is never the first thing that comes to mind. You want to do anything but that. And I feel like in a lot of TV shows, and honestly I'm thinking of like the more recent episodes of Star Trek, uh, the newer shows, like where killing people to get out of the situation you're in is almost treated just like completely cavalierly. And it's just what Mm. has to happen. And like as a normal functional human being, like, Killing someone is never what you want to do. And right. so like, I appreciate that even though this guy is endangering them, like they don't want to kill him because nobody ever wants to kill anybody. Right. So and I like that. that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And they're the only humans within, you know, how, how, how far, you know? I mean, it's like right. we want to save this other person who's with yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I thought it was interesting. They, the character's name is Man you know and man was evil in space yeah. <laughs> like, you know man, like I was saying before like man, i just thought that was a, a kind of a funny on the nose bit of character naming uh so he uh dr man's attempt damages the spaceship and now they're really in a tight spot they're not even sure they can make it to the the final planet uh when cooper comes up with this plan and he first he, he kind of lies. It's funny this uh, another lie to 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 save someone. Um, he lies to Brand uh, that um, he's he, he omits it's a lie of omission essentially where he's going to stay and in the 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 spaceship he's in the Ranger, which is a you know the landing craft, is going to detach to allow the Endurance, the big ship, to slingshot around the uh, gargantua the black hole Mm -hmm. and it's you know and so he allows brand and plan b to survive so like we were saying there's this other story that they could tell about brand and plan b at uh, edmund's planet who may not even be there edmund may be dead but you know Mm -hmm. there's a potential story there but um he ends up going into the black hole you know so he has this self-sacrifice and this is where really really feels like 2001 a space odyssey mm, this this yeah. weird alternate dimension
1: by the way before we get further to that um uh, no pun intended you know, just backing up real quick to when, when they that th- the sequence of of them Saving the endurance, oh, yeah, where they die. Which I, I laugh because, like, I've seen this a couple times, and every time I watch it, I'm, I'm about halfway through, I make it, but about halfway through, I'm like, should I have taken some dramamine before this? Because <laughs> it's just so, yes, but but that's that's a really stunning, you know, sort of sequence, of Very course, too. But, yeah, but yeah, no, it went, so when he goes in the black hole, yeah, obviously, you're getting some, some 2001 vibes for right, sure, yeah, and it's-, it's so trippy.
0: And he, he ends up there with is a case that is with him or Tars. It's Tars. I think Tars, I think Tars goes in with him. Okay, yeah. and it's it's this dimension. It's this you know real, like you said trippy dimension where he is sort of behind the walls of his daughter's bedroom, and but it extends to infinity, and it it it's a representation of both time and space. Um, and he's able to travel through time to the different times in this one space and communicate with her and so uh, I thought that was a really effective depiction of that I mean it's depicting the fifth dimension yeah
2: yeah it did it well and that is one of these this movies pluses is that they actually paid attention to like how can we convey this very abstract concept in a movie right I think they did a good job with that well this I was talking to my students
1: the other day we had a little mini unit on like angels and demons and and I was trying to I didn't reference this movie, but but I was just thinking about it getting ready for tonight because I'm like, it's it's just interesting. The humility required, I think, when you're talking about that at the end of the day, like you want to answer basic questions, but it's the awe inspiring nature of like, like, look at something like this in this movie where you're still ultimately dealing with some kind of you know different dimensionality but it's all still within sort of the realm of kind of material creation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like that is simpler and easier to understand than an angel is <laughs> <you> <laughs> right know, or, right or like like then the whole like how do you even begin to conceive of 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 these these layers and so it really is something that can i, I think invite again more uh, wonder and awe and just like wow <laughs> humility yep. hopefully too yeah yeah
0: it is interesting to see because we get to see the the other side of the revelations and how Murphy ends up figuring it out. And in fact, it's what helps Murphy figure out the equation that allows them to eventually get the gravity thing going, which we don't see, which is fine. We don't need to see it, um, but it ends up getting humanity out to these space station's the uh, o'neill style, I think they call them, uh space stations. They're the rotating mm-hmm. cylinder. You know, yeah. Um where out by the wormhole. And so he ends up yeah, Tars keeps talking about the aliens created a three D space inside their five dimensions, and that's when Cooper says, No, we're the we've created it. We're the aliens. Uh I'm not sure I understand exactly how he created it, but
2: I think what he's saying is humans in the future provided him the ability to do that my big issue with this whole scene is like okay so humanity has built these space stations they can live on which means they have to and like when you see them it's like the suburbs in a tube and it's very like i I didn't like that part because it it didn't really like make sense for what they were doing but if you can engineer these space stations that obviously you have to grow food still for people to eat why couldn't you do that on earth right Like they don't really talk about that. And like, I get what they're going for, but I feel like that was kind of a hole in everything that was happening.
1: Yeah, I was thinking for for what it's worth, I like the uh, the Halo style space station and uh, <laughs> Book of Boba Fett a little more than this. That's just my style. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but you're making a point, Jack, which is that, you know, if you could, if what you needed was a environment separated from Earth in which you could grow the food so it wouldn't be blighted, you could right. build
2: that on Earth. <laughs>
0: You built, yeah. like, you know, uh, like they
2: built the space station, anyways. Like already, right? Like you see that at the beginning right. of the movie. Yeah.
0: So yeah, th- that is a bit of a, a little bit of a plot hole. So, and that's the thing you see, so he ends up coming back somehow. We're not sure how, but uh, he ends up getting delivered back to our solar system, um, and we find out that it's Cooper's love for Murph is the key, and that goes back to Brand talking about love transcending space and time. Um, he gets rescued. He gets to see the elderly Murph. It's very. It's very heartwarming in that sense. You know, he, Mm. he gets to see her before she dies. Um, but it doesn't make sense to me. Like he's sort of a stranger in this room with all of these people are his descendants, his kids and I mean, his grandkids and great grandkids. And like, why aren't they all like, Hey, great granddad. Like I didn't, I was kind of (laughs) a little baffled. Like this is his family and he feels like he doesn't fit in. Like, like she's his last remaining family. it's like, no, they're your family. Yeah, there's 30 people in this room. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of weird oh.
2: for me. He gets a kick back on the porch and drink a beer with his robot. So I mean, <laughs> I really fault him for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then uh, he gets to live in the museum of his house. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, he ends up, you know, going to be with Brand. You know, we're in the in this weird dystopian colony where you turned women into breeding machines. <laughs> So I'm sorry, but I'm going to be very cynical really? about that one. Um, it's
2: the Tilaxu from uh, the Dune universe. <laughs> the, just the wombs that incubate the people. Oh,
0: right. So um, it, it's an interesting, it's supposed to be a heartwarming ending. I'm not sure it is, but um, any final thoughts on this as we wrap things up?
2: I mean, that really kind of is the crux of my issue. Of this mm-hmm. movie where like, I kind of, I kind of compare this to 2001 because 2001 is, obviously the worldview that it is expounding is not a worldview that I identify with because it is very atheistic, but it's not really a character driven movie. Like it's a plot driven movie. And it's like the stuff I take from 2001 is the visuals and the like high concept science from it. And I like all that. And I feel like this movie kind of tries to do that, but you get too bogged down in the interpersonal relationships. And this is, my issue with a lot of Christopher Nolan movies is that he tries to be very, very philosophical, but his philosophy is like freshman year college philosophy. (laughs) And he says all these big things and his characters always have these very like faux profound speeches that don't really amount to much. And it, when you're watching the movie, you're like, "Yeah, I get this," because these actors, like, he has good actors, and he's a fantastic filmmaker. So, like, when you're watching it, you you understand, like, it it's good filmmaking. But then, yeah, when you actually go back to think about it, it's not really. There's no substance there, and that's my primary issue with this movie, and the, just with his movies in general. Is like, it's beautiful, but there's not a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: How about you, Mike? I think, yeah, and, and uh, I, I would in some ways contrast this with a, a, a book I'm going to throw out there to, to people if they're interested. And in, in, it's not exactly the same kind of thing, but it's, it's, there's a lot of similarities in some of the concept of a, a troubled earth and an attempt to go out and colonize. But uh, the Catholic author Michael D. O'Brien's uh, 2013 book, Voyage to Alpha Centauri, it's is good, like mm-hmm. six hundred pages long. It's it's a really long drawn out thing. It takes place over decades. But that's one where I think you you deal with a lot of the same issues and and many many more that are right to the heart of our of our faith for sure. But where it's it's I think some of those deeper philosophical and theological questions are addressed a little more adequately. Um, you know, and and uh, so that's just something I'd throw out as, as something people might want to check out. But yeah, I I, I enjoy it uh, every time I see it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think I I agree with you guys too. There's you know a little you, you have a little left you know sort of wanting it at the end of it so to yeah. speak. So definitely worth it though. Um, it is. It is. Oh, and can I? I forgot. Can I say one quick thing about the music? Because oh, I totally yeah. forgot earlier. Right. Um, and that's that's that can be a whole show on its own. But what I really I, the music I, I think is one of the best features of it. And because it really builds that sort of sense of, of just, you know, um, otherliness and, and, and sort of, you know, strangeness and everything. And uh, it was neat reading uh, that Nolan and Hans Zimmer, in their initial conversations about this, uh, I forget which one of them had the idea to, to really feature uh, profoundly powerful kind of organ music, like pipe organ music, like they would right. go to cathedrals and stuff, like these old cathedrals in England and other places and just let Hans Zimmer and, and then other people play into maybe on some of the tracks, but really kind of open it up on this, on these things. And, uh, and Zimmer was talking about how technological the invention of the pipe organ was and, and how profoundly like, like what an incredible leap forward the invention of that instrument was just, there's just mm-hmm. at the time and, and seeing that coupled with a sort of a futuristic You know, sort of you know scientific Mm. kind of view. It was was just a neat idea that I don't think you're you're typically seeing like very heavily synthesized you know kind of uh, future sounding music. But I I I always thought that was a neat feature, and it's very powerful. You know, really just kind of you know hits you and and, you know deep in you. You know,
0: apparently when they were talking when they first started talking about the soundtrack, Nolan didn't give Zimmer a script or any details of the plot, um, but he gave him a single page. A description of a story of a father leaving his daughter for his work. And that mm-hmm. was what Zimmer started with. Yep. And so it's kind of fascinating to 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 think that he built yeah. off of that. Um that's something. <laughs> but in a way, like you, a lot of sci fi music is like you said, highly synthesized. You know, there's a there's notable exceptions john williams for instance and um but like 2001 as we keep talking about also it went went off of orchestral orchestral music you know also sprox arithustra i mean this is right this was not synthesizer and it's digitized yeah Yeah. it's one of the things that really kind of set it apart from other movies of its type and i i like that they did that with this one where it was that that organ from the temple church in london it's just Mm -hmm. big beautiful organ and the music is just it 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 matches the grand sweeping you know landscape the the images that we get Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah yeah, that was that was pretty good all right Uh, i think if that's it uh, i want to get to our listener feedback we did get a little bit of feedback from Andrew via email, and Andrew wrote uh, on, I greatly enjoyed the recent episode of The Lost Skeleton of Cadavra*. I should have said that in the voice. The Lost Skeleton <laughs> of Cadavra*. Hey, guys, I have to recommend that to you, by the way, if you haven't seen it. It is hysterical. <laughs> check it out. Yeah, it is so funny. Anyway, he says, it sounds like the host had great fun recording it. I had never heard of this tribute, spoof, homage, and have only a faint familiarity with the old sci-fi films on which it is based. But Jimmy, David, and Dom explained the style the film was using and some of the references that made in a way that made me feel like I was in on the joke as well. As a film fan and hobbyist film reviewer, I was smiling at some of the -the behind-the-scenes chat and chuckles over such budget-constrained practices as using stock footage and hooky props. Uh, Then he says, uh, since I much prefer watching films than the long-running TV series that make up a lot of other SQPN shows, I've sometimes wondered why episodes of The Secrets of Movies and TV shows are much more sporadic than some other shows, and this was partly explained near the start of this episode, which I found helpful. I wouldn't mind some more esoteric picks for movies to discuss as if confidence whoever's on the panel can still deliver informed and enjoyable discussion. As a suggestion for more mainstream movies that would still have a lot of depth to dive into, I would put forward the Pixar Studio Back Catalog. A few of the newer films have been reviewed around the time of their release, but many people will have seen a lot of these movies before, so I think they'd make good picks for general appeal. I have plenty of thoughts, at least. Thanks for all the work from everyone who contributes to SQPN. You do a fantastic job at sharing thoughts on Christianity and pop culture. And even if I only listen to a portion of What's On Offer, I absolutely get my money's worth as a modest supporter. Well, thank you, Andrew, for your feedback and for your support. Uh, and as I explained in that episode, it's, it's hard... Um, a show about a uh, you know a podcast about a show that has weekly episodes is much easier to schedule and to plan for. A show that's about a different thing every time, uh, with a different panel every time, it can be a challenge to schedule. It's a lot harder, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but we're, we're we're I think we're doing better now. We we've become much more regular in the last few months, so that I'm, I'm hoping we can continue that pattern. Um, and a good suggestion on the Pixar movies. I think we should probably go back. Um, at least the Toy Story movies should be on our list of things to talk about. Uh, those, those would be a good series to do. Uh, but there are others as well.
2: I do my, uh, my son who's, uh, he's five. He recently asked we could talk about in kanto is he's obsessed with that movie so there we go i'm sorry we don't talk about bruno
0: <laughs>
2: i want
0: to know <laughs> what pixar has against the name bruno <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's saint bruno they don't like a, maybe, uh, bruno silencio um <laughs> uh, my daughter's name is isabella and she's really tired of isabella your boyfriend's here oh my gosh she is so tired of that. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, so let's wrap things up. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of movies and TV shows, including Vince S, Melanie S, Ted K, Bruce G, and Megan S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of movies and TV shows and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com give. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear from you what you think of Interstellar or anything we had to talk about in this episode. You can comment on the show at sqpn.com slash secrets or the StarQuest Facebook page or send an email to secrets at sqpn.com. Until next time, Mike Creevy, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Interstellar.
1: Oh, hey, my pleasure.
0: And Jack Barazzini, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of movies and TV shows on StarQuest.